0: And this is Chris from Bundespeed Podcast, where we discuss black LGBT issues and topics. And we are continuing our conversation with the untold truth of depression with our guest Antoine Craigwell, who is the president, founder, and CEO of DBGM, which stands for Depressed Black Gay Men, located in New York. Well, we're too busy. You know, we definitely have a lot of people... Uh, because I think uh, one time in uh, Brothers Speak, um, locally down here in Wilt Manners, we had a discussion. And with those assumptions, we automatically assume either number one, that person's a bottom, meaning that they're, uh, because of their effeminate qualities, they actually tend to be, of they remind them of women, those a little bit uh, servant, uh, not necessarily dominant in the relationship. So we automatically assume and start going to this bottom shaming um and we also talk to shame each other in the process and giving labels which from what I understand and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong especially within the black community when we come with labels the uh, we begin to identify ourselves we really shy away from it we really shy away from being identified as gay we we shy away from being identified as anything else because it's considered to be lower than and am I wrong on that
1: Because, well, because we've been socialized, we've been culturalized to reject anything that is different. You remember, you have to understand that one of the greatest tensions, well, one of the many greatest tensions that we have to struggle with as humans is we cannot live in isolation. We need each other. We are social creatures. But conversely, even though we are social creatures, we still separate, categorize, divide, segregate. Because by doing that, we are, in, we are able to provide for our own survival. Yeah. And so it is a fundamental tension that exists for us as humans. We naturally do it, whether we want to or not now i'm not making an excuse for bullies i'm not making an excuse for racists i'm not making an excuse for those who are homophobes because very often racism bullying homophobia is learned behavior it's taught what we know for a fact is that uh, uh, a young black boy who recognizes that he is sexually attracted to the neighbor and tells his parents that this is how he feels and receives the support and encouragement of his parents, that that young black boy grows up to be a well-adjusted black gay man and becomes a productive member of society. And we also know of the opposite, that if his parents deny him, who he who he really is he creates an alternate personality he creates a separate individual that will that will sneak around devise be devious so that he can he can hook up with the guy next door and still present to his parents that he's ultra masculine and he's gonna get married and bring in grandchildren like his parents require well wow. but then at some point but then at some point, the alternate personality and the real personality are going to collide, and the problem is what happens when that collision happens. What happens to that person when those two people collide? Because you can't, you, he can't live with two people. One has to, one has to dominate, and one has to take back seat. And at some point, they are going to collide. So I use the image of train tracks, a pair of train tracks going off in the distance. What? At some point in that distance, the two tracks become one. At that point that they become one, which I call a point of convergence, what happens to that person then? At what age or stage in his life does he does he experience that point of convergence? And I use the example of um, Omar Matthias in Orlando, who at um, uh, the Pulse, who who shot the forty nine people at the Pulse nightclub, and then eventually was killed. Is Orlando? He was struggling with his sexuality, but he was but he was also from uh, 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 a fundamentalist muslim and so he was forced to create another identity because as the information became clear later on is that even though he had one wife and then a second wife and both wives somehow knew about his sexual orientation or his inclination and we saw that he was going to pulse nightclub he's been there he's been he's been he's been engaging in, in relationships no. with other guys he still maintained that other personality, that other side that was the ultra to please his parents. And then those two pers- those two people collided. Right. And the collision is what resulted.
0: You know, um I see that you did create a film in regards to this particular topic. And the film is called You Are Not Alone, is that correct?
1: Can you tell me yes. a little bit about that? The film's journey Was kind of interesting because it came out of, um, a book that I started to write, um, collecting the stories about, of black gay men speaking about their experiences and of their, what caused their descent into depression. And of course, it being a book about black gay men and mental health and the publishing industry is predominant is most is all almost white owned and operated that one could not find uh, publish it, to publish a book on about black gay men with mental health issues. Um, so I asked some of the guys who interviewed the book if okay, they'd go in front of a camera and they said yes. And so we interviewed them and put them on camera and um, we invited some um, mental health therapists to comment on different aspects that emerged from the interviews. Um, and in the film, we look at at least six, six different but interrelated themes that emerge. One is sexual identity and sexual orientation. We looked at sexual abuse. We looked at the role of religion or the well. church. We looked at contracting HIV. We also looked at bullying and we looked at what it is like growing older as a black gamer. And those six themes, each of which on their own or overlapping with another or combined, can lead someone to descend into depression and to consider suicide. Um, and so the film um, has been out since 2013, since 2012. Um, it's been in several film festivals around the country and internationally um as far away as canada yeah. um as close as way as as montreal yeah. and as far away as in suriname and Wonderful. guyana um in this in south america um it has been shown once in florida for the big boy pride at uh, south beach and i think that was might have been in 2013 or 2014 um and it's been a couple of times in atlanta um, it's been I think once or twice in South Carolina okay. it's been two or three times in North Carolina, Raleigh um, Raleigh-Durham it's been a couple of times in Houston it was shown in Memphis um, for Memphis okay. uh, Pride right. one year
0: there's nothing getting yeah. some good circulation and good international circulation but it definitely needs more it sounds like you know for people to really be aware of what Current events are going to be affecting this topic tremendously. Um and as well as uh what other community centers could possibly contribute to this. Is this a film that you guys have planned on distributing to uh have others to be able to talk about it to kind of get the topic a little bit further out there and how every other state can kind of make their own little push in regards to this topic? This
1: the film is not commercially okay. available. Okay. Because the idea, because the idea is, we don't want, we don't want people to see the film and just get up and throw away their soda and and pop on and walk out at the gotcha. end of it. We want to be able to have conversations after the film, so as to reinforce some of the issues in gotcha. the film. Um, more than more than once, as a matter of fact, several several times after the showing of of, of after the screening. Many people in the audience have made revelations about themselves that they have never, ever spoken before. And many people in the audience, after the discussion, are resolved to go find a therapist, to go find somebody to talk with professionally, which is, which for us is that the objective has been achieved. Right. Okay.
0: Now, let me ask you that, because the LGBT community in general, you know, aside for people of color, has a really, really high suicide rate. Really high suicide rate. And to see that just that LGBT in itself is not truly being addressed, is there really any signs that any other – form of, or any other of these suicidal rates will begin to decrease. I, uh, the last time I checked, I believe transgender had a very, especially when you get older, a very high suicide rate, uh, older, very high suicide rate, uh, just the LGBT community in general. Is the government, is, could this, let me just rephrase the question. Could this be another, uh, introduction in terms of how the government looked at HIV and AIDS in the 80s? In terms of turning their backs, is this the situation that we're looking at?
1: Um, I'm not so sure I will make that kind of blanket statement. Um, I would suggest that uh, suicide, suicidality, suicidal ideation, suicidal attempts and completion occur for a variety of reasons. And no two reasons are exactly the same. Um, I would suggest, though that we are seeing increasing numbers of suicides um, in various forms, including non-traditional forms among transgender male and transgender female people of color. We are also seeing a number of black gay men who are committing suicide. And suicidality is not necessarily confined to the traditional forms. And so arguably there is one other passive form of suicide which is contracting HIV. So I can contract HIV as a passive form of suicide and I don't I don't care to take treatment, I don't care to get a test because I want to die. Um and so that is a non-traditional form of suicide. Um there are many who are who are um committing suicide by suicide by car or suicide by placing themselves in in uh, dangerous environments, where they end up being killed by somebody else, or killed in in cross crossfire shooting, um, and 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 one one might want to suggest or even raise the question that for many of the transgender who are being murdered, how many of those are as a result of some indirect form of suicide? That it is perhaps to suggest or ask the question. That some transgender who are murdered end up putting themselves in situations that result in their death, and then in fact was their death at form of suicide because it was done by somebody else. Right. Yeah. It's just it's just raising the question. It's not suggesting that that is the case. It's just raising it for consideration. Right. Um, we know that more men, we know that four times more men commit suicide than women, even though more women attempt suicide. Really? But more men, more, four times more men complete suicide. Wow. Um, than, wow. than women. Um, and so, again, the factors that drive someone to commit suicide are varied, are multiple, and are complex what we do know is that there is a combination of three things that are taking place there is a there is a biological neurotransmitting, neuro, neurotransmitter uh, imbalance in the brain that causes this and that imbalance can be uh a, a nanometer difference either too much or too little in the neurochemical imbalance in the brain it is also the effect of experiences and the community and the world outside of that person and it is those two factors factors—the outside of the person and the inside the person's brain that combines creates a third element that can precipitate someone becoming suicidal Um, I think that one of the things is that someone who may be considering or thinking about suicide should, if they are able to take a step back and realize that the thought process that is driving them down that path is actually taking place in their brains because of a neurochemical imbalance. And that they should do whatever is necessary to try to get the help to talk to someone. So, for example, um, here in New York City, with the Thrive NYC program, there is a, a number that you can call. Um, I think it's 1888 uh, Well or NYC Well or Well NYC, um, and you'll be connected to uh, um, uh, you'll be connected to someone who will be able to walk you through, to talk you through, to help the person to be able to be connected to a therapist or be connected to, to resources and to to, to to try to help them calm down or calm down or to de escalate that situation. And I think if that program like Pride NYC or NYC well can be implemented in a number of other states then and and aggressively push now, of course, it means that there must be funding for it. So, New York City uh, have committed, I think, about thirty-nine million dollars to this, um, or I don't know, fifty million dollars to this. Um, and so, there's money behind it because there's a there's a city government that recognized the importance of mental health and was and had put money behind it. Now, are there other cities and other states that are willing to do this? The question is. This is where the black gay community has to step up and hold their city council members, hold their city representatives accountable, hold their state representatives accountable, and say, well, what are you doing to protect and assist with my mental health? Wow.
0: You know, I'll be honest with you, you have definitely enlightened me, and I'm pretty sure you're definitely enlightened the listeners. A lot better in regards to this topic, because this seems to be something that we knew was definitely happening. We knew a lot of people, especially people of color, who are LGBT, of the LGBT community, have definitely been suffering for a very long time in regards to just being who they are. And the rates of suicide, the rates of depression, everything seems to not necessarily be going down. And this is kind of a, a thing that is of, of alarming concern to where we should all partake in going to our representatives and doing something about it. So now you did say that you may be having a conference a little bit later. When would that conference be and where uh, should people be able to kind of find this information?
1: Well, the conference we're uh, this is our third year. Um, we do a conference um, that began as a summit in twenty fourteen at Rutgers University New York campus, an LGBT mental health, people of color mental health summit, and we followed that up with a one day conference in twenty fifteen um, in partnership with Mount Sinai Beth Israel in New York City, um, and so last year twenty sixteen we had up to the first two day conference at the Alexander Hamilton U.S. Customs House building. And so this year we are working towards um, the second um, two-day two conference or the third conference, the third annual conference, um, looking at the mental health of LGBT people of color. Um, and it surprises me that nobody's really talking about this, that this has never happened before, and I still can't believe it. Um, I don't understand why this has never happened before. Um, but the conference is going to be held on October 5th and October 6th at the Stewart Hotel in Manhattan, which is on 7th Avenue, obliquely across from Madison Square Gardens. Um, and so it's a, uh, it's going to be a two-day conference, like I said. And we are actually coming to the end of our abstract submissions process. So the first phase of the conference is about to end. So the abstract submissions process ends next Wednesday at midnight. So after midnight next Wednesday, we are not accepting any more abstracts because abstract submissions process has open since April 1st. So we give people two months in which this can circulate around the country internationally to get people to submit abstracts that want to talk about things and issues that affect the mental health of LGBT people of color. Um, and then we go into the abstract selection process where we have a team of uh independent reviewers who are all uh academics, PhDs and MDs who will review the abstracts and select the best ones to for the conference program, which will we hope will be the draft schedule will be available in the first week of July. But registration we, we are planning to launch registration for conference on June 1st. And um registration is going to be uh in three different stages. Uh, three different time period stages. So advanced, which is early registration, standard, which is regular registration, and late, which is of course late registration. Um, and each registration period, each registration will be further subdivided into three separate, um, categories. There's a different, there's a category for academics and clinicians. There's a category for advocates and activists. And there's a category for consumers and students, so that everyone has an opportunity to attend the conference. Um, one of the things that we do make uh make it very clear is that no one should feel that he or she is unable to attend this conference. So so the the the, the lowest registration point is the consumer student, and they will probably pay At the late registration fee will probably be paid about $20 to come in. And they would be entitled, and they would be entitled to all of the benefits and all of the access of the conference, including a gift bag, breakfast, and lunch. Um, because we feel that no, that everyone should have access and be able to attend this conference and take advantage of the information and the resources that are available but one other thing about this conference that is different from the previous year's conference is that this conference so far has been made possible because of a generous donation from an organization that made a significant donation to help us. That's wonderful, that's wonderful. That's the only way this conference is happening. Wow, that is wonderful. And secondly, the conference theme, which is Navigating Mental Health Care, Concerns, Developments, and Promises, is actually a way for the people of color community to look at the present administration's rhetoric and the things that they're talking about, about how it will affect them. So it is for people of color communities to understand how are they going to be able to navigate and identify resources and identify ways and means of surviving with this present administration. And we can only hope that the administration is impeached and removed, including the vice president and all of the cabinet, that we can perhaps see a new government Something that is perhaps unprecedented, something that has never happened before, which may be a constitutional crisis, but would at least in some way give many people of color in this country, and by extension, LGBT people of color, an opportunity to hope that there is, um, some, there is a reason to live, a reason to be. Because I know that right now, I can imagine that many LGBT people of color looking at how the present administration behaves are thinking to themselves they don't want to be here. Actually, I actually heard that there was uh, one man who worked at an agency in New York who around about December, about the middle of December, just before Christmas, who committed suicide because he could not bear the thought of living in a country run by this current administration. Wow. Wow.
0: It's a this, serious This system. is a, a very, very serious thing right now. You know, one thing's for sure that uh, Brothers Be Podcast will definitely do its best to uh, market that for you, to make sure people are definitely aware and to get more people talking as much as possible. And uh, if there's any way that I can be able to contribute to that, uh, and when any way I would definitely be doing that. So I, I wanted, I'm very glad we did this podcast to bring more awareness to it. Uh, that's one of the reasons why it's actually been made uh, in the first place—to uh, give more awareness to topics like this. And this is one that I would definitely say has not been given as true shine, to actually give enough attention. So it's people like you that really make it uh, uh, to give more people the attention that it truly deserves. So I truly Truly appreciate you coming to the show, and what I will definitely do again, I will make sure I have all your information so some of the listeners can be able just to look it up in the profiles and find out as much as possible and how could they possibly donate or contribute to the organization which is called D B as a boy G M which is depressed black gay men and see exactly what they could possibly do. So I do appreciate you coming to the show. Thank you so much. And this is Chris for Brothers Be Podcast signing off. Thank you again. Thank you You got to take a moment to give a big shout out to DJ Baker with the weekly top 40. It's the first LGBT urban countdown from artists from around the world. Tune in every single Saturday from live from 6 pm to 10 p.m exclusively in alljudoradio.com.